You're listening to How Do I Sponsor a Refugee, a podcast brought to you by MCC Saskatchewan. Welcome to episode four of How Do I Sponsor a Refugee? I'm Mark and I work for Mennonite Central Committee Saskatchewan as the <laughs> Migration and Resettlement Coordinator, which is a long title, which just means I help people to sponsor refugees. And back in my youth, I was once arrested for interfering with a fence. <laughs> I'm Kate. I work at the University of Saskatchewan in uh, healthcare education and simulation, which essentially boils down to me teaching well people how to pretend to be sick. And when I was in my youth, I grew seven centimeters of my own femur. <laughs> A very constructive thing to do. Yes. Okay, so this time we're going to make the, uh, all of the paperwork that you need to go through as a sponsorship group seem as uh, unintimidating as possible. Yeah. 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 That's, it's, it's reasonable. It's, it's paperwork, but you have to do it for taxes and everything else, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. So you've talked to MCC, you've started the process of becoming approved as a sponsorship group, and you know who you're going to help. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Where does the paperwork come in? Okay, so the government requires certain forms to be completed. Mm-hmm. There's basically three forms that they require. Uh, one of them is, is called the generic, or the IMM0008. <laughs> I like the name the generic much better. <laughs> the other one sounds like a robot from Star Wars. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's basically where you enter uh, everybody in the family and their birth dates and height and eye colour and mm-hmm. whether they've got a passport and whether they've got a national identity card and where they live, where they did live, where their national, what is their nationality, um, their educational status, all those sorts of things. I mean, it's relatively straightforward answers. Yes. Yeah. Now, I mean, if they do have a passport, if they do have an identity card, then we also need to have copies of those, I mean, electronic copies of those. Yeah, okay. So that's, that's the generic. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Schedule A, which is basically what's your recent history since the age mm-hmm. of 18 or for the last 10 years. So where have you lived? Uh, what work have you done? Also, I mean, what's your educational background since high school, essentially? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how many years of education, which schools, and those, those types of things. And then there's questions about, you know, have you been uh, involved in government? Have you been involved in the military? Those, mm-hmm. those types of questions as well, which usually the answer is no for the people that we bring, but sometimes there's, there's something there. So that's Schedule A. Mm-hmm. So that's relatively easy to, to complete. Yeah. Um, and then there's Schedule 2, just confusingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy. Schedule 2 is a little bit more detailed, and uh, I'll deal with the end of it first, which is basically lists of relations. Okay. Sort of, you know, your parents, your 
siblings and your any relations in Canada, where are they and are they alive or dead and mm-hmm. you know are they married or single and those, those types of questions. Right. But at the beginning of the the form, there's what I think is is the most important thing to get right in this whole process, and the newcomer actually has to provide these stories themselves. We need to sometimes, you know, it's an iterative process. Mm-hmm. We need to say, look, tell us a bit more about that. Right. And sometimes we have to correct the grammar a bit so that it's a bit easier for the visa officer to read. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's basically, what is your story? Why did you leave your, country, your home country? Mm-hmm. You know, what prompted you to do that? How did you get to where you are now? Can you go back to your home country? To which, right. you know, the answer is... It's got Mostly to be no. no. Yeah. <laughs> those questions, uh, certainly the first two of those, require quite a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Because what the Canadian government needs to know is basically, are you a genuine refugee? Right. That's how they determine it. Yeah. So they need to know that you have a genuine, well-founded risk, a uh, sense of risk of persecution in your home country, mm-hmm. that you can't go back there, that you have no durable solution in the place where you are now, which is going to be a little bit obvious if you're in a refugee camp. Yeah. It could be relatively obvious if you are in you know a low income area of a built of a city where you know where all the refugees live yeah and there's there's no real options for you there so but you need to say those things yeah yeah you have to lay it all out and you need to make it clear you know whether you own any property still in your home country which usually mm. they don't mm. so right. those are the forms that the government needs from the refugee also needs some forms from us, which you and I filled in those yeah. those forms, uh, which is basically you know very basic details of yeah. who you are, who I am. Um, you had to fill, fill in the um, sponsor assessment form, which is basically to I, I think if it was the form that rules out honest criminals, right? Yes. <laughs> are you doing this for financial gain? Yeah. Yeah. Have you committed murder? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> those types of questions. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I mean, those are, those are straightforward. Then there's another form which I don't normally ask people to do at that stage, but I do want them to, to complete a little bit later on. We, as a sponsorship agreement holder, don't have to send it in, but we do have to have it done. Right. Uh, which is the settlement plan. That's basically the things that we were talking about in the last session, sort yeah. of who's going to do those? Do you have a plan to make sure that all those things happen? Yes. So those are the forms that the government needs. Mm-hmm. They also ask for whatever supporting documents you can provide as refugee. Okay. So that could be your passport, it could be your, I mean, copy of, this is electronic copy of everything that I'm about to right. say. Yeah. Uh, it could be a, a national identity card, it could be a birth certificate, marriage certificate, in some cases a baptism certificate. Mm. Um, in Arab countries there's something called a family book that 
you know, lists members of the family. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things like that. And, you know, we even go on to, to ask for, you know, if you've got them, then a document giving your school grades. Right, yeah. Um, anything that can prove who you are, essentially. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a few other things like that. I mean, people who have had a significant professional life mm-hmm. provide some evidence of that. You know, whether it's certificates, whether it's letters from the boss, whether it's, you know, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Obviously, university degree certificates, if, if you've got them. So, all those things. I mean, some people can provide none of them pretty well. Right. <laughs> some yeah. people, it's, it takes about a dozen emails just to attach them to, to send off to... Yeah. To IRCC. Yeah, so that so can be a drawn-out process. Well, it can be. Um, it can be a, a bit of a process sorting through them and to see which of the which of the important ones as well. Mm-hmm. But the the one thing that you must send is photos, and what the Canadian government asks for is that they be to Canadian passport standards. So there's mm-hmm. certain dimensions. 50 millimetres by 70 millimetres and your head needs to be about half the height of the photo and you know, okay. those types of things. Mm-hmm. And that what in a, you know, a traditional paper photo would, would, have been, would be the, the back of the photo information. So that's the mm-hmm. stamp from the photographer with a date on it okay. and your name and your birth date. So we we find, you know, that there's a degree of flexibility possible with that because different countries do things in different ways and yeah. especially through COVID it's been virtually impossible for some people to get to a professional photographer. Yeah. Not everybody, but some people. Yeah. So there has been a little bit of flexibility, but they're not really supposed to show that flexibility at all. So... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do it if you do what they ask. Yeah. If you possibly conceivably can. Yeah. So that's what the government needs. So that's what the government needs. And then so as far as the government trusting you as a group and trusting the refugees are um, going to be, I guess, quote unquote, safe to bring to Canada. Mm-hmm. What other security measures, what does that process look like? What other is there other yeah. paperwork that needs to happen? Well, I mean, they do. The, they check out the the newcomers. They don't just rely on what we send them. They yeah, they follow up on. They it. follow up. They have private investigators going around, which is why the whole process takes so long. Mm. In terms of the finances, in terms of the. The success of the sponsorship, that's a partnership. It's a partnership between us at MCC and you as a sponsorship group. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some cases, it's, it's a three-way partnership between MCC and a sponsorship group and what's called a co-sponsor, which is, would be typically a family member. Okay. There's different ways of, of working it out. But that partnership as a whole is accountable to government. Right. But it falls upon MCC to make sure that, 
everybody is accountable. Yes. So we have certain documents that we ask people to sign. I mean, there's a, a memorandum of understanding. There's a financial document, you know, basically saying, I promise to provide all the money, mm-hmm. <laughs> or yep. this is how all the money is going to be provided. Yes. And an accompanying document basically saying sort of, this is how much I'm paying. That's to some extent for our benefit, but it's, it's mm-hmm. for the benefit of the sponsorship as a whole to make sure that you know, we actually stay within the government guidelines. Yeah, and it's, it, it functions as, uh, like it holds everyone accountable Yeah, and yeah. sets expectations for what the process will look like, Yeah, which is good. Um, so as far as all these forms go, is there a bit of a domino effect where you can't fill out these forms until you've gotten these through? Or is there any, um, because as we've sort of talked about a couple of times, there's quite a lot of waiting on government to yeah. do things. Yeah. So are there some forms that you want to send off as quick as possible? Is there a particular order that makes well, the most sense? Well, I mean, all those forms we have to send in together. It's one mm. application. Okay. I mean, not the forms that we keep at MCC, but mm-hmm. but the government forms and the photos and the ID documents and so on. But it can take some time to get those put together, especially those pieces I was talking about at the beginning of Schedule 2, yeah. getting that story as good as possible, you know, truthful. Yes. Yep. <laughs> not not making it, not in, elaborating it, but mm-hmm. but you know, getting all the information there that's going to be relevant to the visa officer when they look at it. Yeah. That can take time because I mean, very often it's me talking to a sponsor who is talking to a relative who is right. talking to the refugee, who is stuck in some place where they can't communicate very easily mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and may not remember everything. You know, they may have been one when it happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes time to, to get all that to, together. Yeah. In the meantime, the photos and the signatures on the forms need to be done within three months of sending off the form. Okay. So what I say to people is leave the photos and the signatures until the very last thing. Wait until we've got everything together, Hmm. and then we do that. There we go. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, because the last thing you want is for one, uh, an administrative error or hitch on your end to somehow slow things down. Yeah. because the, the thing that I want to talk about next is, what happens once you've sent all the forms? We wait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is a process. We send them to Ottawa to an office called Rocco, which is part of IRCC. Basically, they look at the forms, they check that they are legitimate applications. Right. Not, they're not checking whether this person can come, they're checking whether it is just a legitimate application. Mm-hmm. So they, when they've done that, they get back to me and mm-hmm. typically to the, the sponsor and to the, the applicant mm-hmm. to say, yes, we've, we've approved this application, we're sending it on to the visa office. Mm-hmm. So it goes to the visa office, and that's when the long wait happens. Some visa offices take longer than others, but 
all of them seem to take quite a long time. Yeah. Because what they're doing is, I mean, that, that thing with the private investigators I was talking yeah. about. That's what's happening. Um, they're doing that. And, I mean, it takes them a while before they get through, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a pile on their desk because they're all in electronic form, but think of it as a pile on their desk. Yes. But they have to get to the bottom of the mm-hmm. pile to find your form. Mm-hmm. So there's that delay and there's the, yeah, the time it takes for the investigation. And then eventually they will call you to interview. Hmm. Now, some visa officers will call you to interview earlier than others, um, Ankara seemed to call people sort of halfway through the investigation. Hmm. And then there's another wait after that. Yeah. But most of the others, they call you to interview and, you know, yes, that's fine. Go off and get a medical done so that we know that you're safe to bring into Canada. You're not going to bring us some dread disease. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's really only a couple of dread diseases that they're worried about. Mm-hmm. Tuberculosis is the big one. Right. And then, assuming that you know you, you get a approval at that stage, mm-hmm. the message from the doctor goes back to the the visa office, and they approve the visa. Right. Um, yeah. Which itself takes a little bit of time. I don't know why, but it does. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then it's a matter of booking a flight, which in most countries is actually done by the International Organization for Migration, the IOM, okay. which is a UN agency. Okay. So IOM, outside of COVID, would also do a couple of days session of Canadian orientation. Oh, sort of, okay. this is what Canada is like right. type stuff. <laughs> so learn about Canada in two days. <laughs> yeah, uh, here's what you can expect. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in COVID, they've been hit by it like everybody else. Yeah. And so it's learn all about Canada in two hours. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's good. It's good yeah. to know yeah. that, you know, there will be much more to fill in once they get here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But at least there's an attempt made. Yes. Yeah. And IOM staff tend to be really quite helpful because there are other complications. A lot of countries, they need exit visas right. in order to be able to leave. Mm-hmm. We're actually hitting this at the moment with uh, Afghans in Pakistan, which okay. to an extent that I hadn't realised was, was quite as bad as it is. But it's happening with um, folks that we applied for in September. And we had, you know, essentially Canadian approval in December. Mm. But it's... It's the exit We're still not sure quite where that application is at. Mm. Because there is a process. Right. Yes. (laughs) And then, you know, in other countries, it's a simpler process. But there are corrupt government officials who say, you know, this this is going to cost you Mm -hmm. however much... (laughs) Yep. Um, if you want it to go quickly, yeah. this is what it'll cost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a set price in mm-hmm. most countries that, that are asking for this, but yeah. there are people who want to take their extra tip. Yes. Yeah. So. And we, yeah, yeah we work with those processes as, as you approach or uh, as you encounter them, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so once you get all of that paperwork, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. And a lot of paperwork that these government groups are 
going through. So it's a lot of waiting on yeah. our end yeah. at that stage. An enormous amount of waiting, which mm-hmm. gives the group time to plan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all this doesn't happen with a before. Right. So there are some accelerated programs, yeah. Yeah. but with a regular um, sponsorship. But with a PSR, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, this, this is what happens. And with the OAS, with the Afghan scheme, it's supposed to be a lot quicker. Hmm. Right, that's what they're, that's what they're telling yeah. us. Yeah. But that last stage where the Pakistani government is, is involved seems to be delaying things yeah. so far as we're, hmm. we're aware. I mean, I think, I think we were one of the first groups to actually apply for Afghans back in September and talking with, with others who put in applications early and got those processed relatively quickly, they're experiencing the same. Right. That it's relatively quick. If you send enough letters saying, mm-hmm. please hurry up, these people are desperate. Mm-hmm. But then this last stage is, is hard. Okay. I should say something about that, sending letters saying, please hurry up, though. There are yes. only certain conditions under which we can do that. Yeah. If they are in particularly severe circumstances, we can. Mm-hmm. If the process has gone on for longer than IRCC say that it should have done at that visa office, then we can. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, well, <laughs> I guess if there's a change of address, we have to notify them. Right. right. And you know, maybe that's a, an opportunity to say, to say yeah, by the way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, but the, the rest of the time yeah. we have to be very polite yeah. and yeah. just wait. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, we lose our reputation with them. Yeah, yeah, so it's all a few things in the balance then. Yeah. So just to sum up what we've talked about this time is the basic forms that are needed by the government. Mm-hmm. To facilitate the, you know, what what's the story? Who are these folks that we're bringing over, so that they can then do their background checks? Yes. And then there are forms that are needed by MCC to formalize the agreement, set terms and expectations, so that uh, MCC is also protected um, mm-hmm. if something goes awry. And then I uh, talked a little bit about, you know, strategy, what forms to send first and what sort of timelines work best and then uh next time we're going to talk about waiting (laughs) and about the process of waiting and how what what um what speeds up the process what might slow down the process um and what signs to look for that might indicate that these folks might be getting on a plane in the next few months uh, and what you can do while you're waiting as i said at the end of episode two of how do i sponsor a refugee we did these interviews in march and we're making this series of podcasts public in october of 2022 and so some things have happened and one of the things that's happened and this is excellent news is that the Afghans that we applied to bring back in September did actually arrive in April of this year Uh, it took 
quite some time at the Pakistani end of things, but they arrived and they are doing well. Please note that this series of podcasts, which we're calling How Do I Sponsor a Refugee, because that's what they're about, are quite specific in the detail to how we do things at the Mennonite Central Committee office in Saskatoon. Not every sponsorship agreement holder will do things in exactly the same way. We're all subject to the same government rules. We're all subject to the same expectations. But we handle things slightly differently from one group to another. And so if you're looking to sponsor through somebody else or you, if you have experienced sponsorship through somebody else or even through us in the past, you will notice some differences. We would like to invite people who haven't thus far been involved in sponsoring refugees to consider it. And if you would like to get involved, and especially, especially if you want to sponsor someone who's not related to you, if you want to welcome the stranger, that is, feel free to contact me, this is Mark Bigland Pritchard, at migration at mccsk.ca. That's migration at mccsk.ca. And I say, you know, especially people who aren't related to somebody that they want to bring, because we have a number of people that we would be very happy to be able to bring who are in serious problems, but who don't have the people here to support them at this point to form a strong enough group or to provide the money. And so if you can help in either or both of those ways, then obviously we will be very, very glad to hear from you. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to How Do I Sponsor? A refugee. How Do I Sponsor a Refugee is a podcast of Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. All speakers are responsible for their own comments. We are grateful to Erin Brophy and Fletcher Forehand for providing the music.